Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry and of course this is my co-host. I am Chris Huddleston. And today we are both very excited to be talking to you all about the 1986 classic of my childhood. I don't know about yours, but Clash <laughs> of the Titans. In an ancient age before recorded time, men were measured by their courage and women by their beauty. Mighty gods ruled the universe and fear and destruction covered the world. It was a time of darkness when only the force of love could bring back the light. Now, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer presents Clash of the Titans. A sweeping legend of a golden age. Soon, the motion picture epic of our time. Enter into the wondrous world of Perseus and Andromeda. A world of passion and power, beauty and bravery, mystery and magic. A world that transcends fantasy and leaps into legend. One courageous man rides between an angry heaven and the fury of hell on earth. He rides a winged stallion across the sky. He rides to save the one who owns his heart. He rides towards wonders no man has ever seen and terrors no man has ever faced. Clash of the Titans, starring Laurence Olivier, Maggie Smith, Ursula Andress, Burgess Meredith, Claire Bloom, and introducing Harry Hamlin as Perseus and Judy Bowker as Andromeda. It will touch you, shock you, dazzle your senses, and sweep you to the limits of your imagination. Clash of the Titans. Do you have a synopsis for us, Mr. Huddleston? I do, and I don't mean to correct you, but it was 81. What? Really? 1981, yes. Oh, wow. So Clash of the Titans was an 81 film directed by Desmond Davis, and it stars Harry Hamlin, Lawrence Olivier, Judy Bowker, Claire Bloom, Maggie Smith. You have Mickey, what's Mickey's name for Rocky? Burgess Meredith. Burgess Meredith. There as well. And the synopsis is Perseus, played by Harry Hamlin, son of the Greek god Zeus, Lawrence Olivier, grows up on a deserted island. His destiny is to marry Princess Andromeda, Judy Bowker, who will someday rule the city of Joppa. But as soon as the satyr, Calabos, Neil McCarthy, Man, this is longer than I expected it to be. Who uses a giant vulture to kidnap Andromeda's soul every night is alive. No one can marry her. Perseus travels to Joppa where he must defeat Calabos and other mythological monsters to rescue Andromeda. Okay. I thought it was going to so, give us a blow-by-blow blow of the whole movie. Yeah, it was It was getting there, wasn't it? All right. So you said this was a classic of, of your childhood. So had you seen this since your childhood? I have, yeah, and it, it's been a few years, but I did go back and revisit it um, oh, a few years ago, but I remember it so vividly from when I was a kid. I think that this, I probably credit this movie with my fascination of Greek myth in general, like it just really got its hooks in me, and, and of course, we'll talk about Ray Harryhausen's animation, but... I mean, spoiler alert, I love this movie. Love it. So mm -hmm. had you seen it? You saw it as a child. 
Yeah, I'm, I watched this many, many times as a child. This one would be, you know, in terms of me watching it over and over again, uh, would be, I don't know why people always want to text me while we're recording, but um, this would be one of the, these movies along with the original Star Wars and uh, The Black Hole that I just watched over and over and over and over and over again. Um, I had, I don't really remember when I last watched this. I, I do not think I had watched it as an adult. Um, I don't know if I even watched, you know, maybe I saw this on high school at some point. I don't know. Um, but it was a little bit surprising to me how much I remembered of this, you know, it, uh, Cause I, you know, I can watch a movie and then watch it again a couple of years later and have forgotten a lot of it. But I think just because I watched this so many times, um, so many of the key scenes, you know, the stuff with the Kraken and Medusa and the owl, the mechanical owl uh, stuck in my, you know, it was like, oh, okay, this is just as I remembered it. Um, it was a little strange watching it now because it it feels very dated even by 1981 standards um if you take <clears throat> the you know the actors out of it that i would know based on their age you know harry hamlin was really young here he went on to be a big star mainly with la law i think on tv but you know he was a big star in the 80s so, you know, that would be a giveaway. But aside from that, if I watched it and it said, you know, the release was 1965, I wouldn't be at all surprised because even, you know, the the stop motion is dated. But just the look of the film when. Uh, but no one was doing stop motion like that in 1965. No, no, no that's not really my point, but even the look of the outside of the, the stop motion stuff, the, you know, the, just the stuff with real live actors, it, it feels like when they're on sets, it feels like sixties television almost. It, it just seems like a, a, uh, just very much a bygone era that, that didn't even exist in say the late seventies and early eighties. Uh, uh, I want to get into box office here later in the discussion, but Raiders of the Lost Ark was released the same year. And it's it's not fair to compare this to Raiders of the Lost Ark because, uh, you know, that's such a great movie. But just in terms of Raiders of the Lost Ark seems like made in a completely different time frame, yes. you know, from this. Not, you know, just in, in terms of filmmaking. It just feels like 60s, maybe early 70s film, you know? Um it was it was fun to watch it. I I I do really enjoy the all the Harryhausen stuff. Um, the you know the Kraken is still as a kid. So I would have been when I first watched this probably seven or eight years old, and I can remember watching this and then talking to kids on the playground about this. You know how awesome the I don't know if we used the word awesome yet then, but the Medusa scene in particular was just so. cool cool then and scary and the Kraken was scary and everything. And I think a lot of that holds up pretty well. My 
probably my my major complaint would be with this would be it's two hours long and i mean and i know our our attention spans have decreased a lot over the decades but this movie should not be longer than an hour and a half you know <laughs> it's, it it definitely drags at times but but the cast is good you know you have all these classic actors and then you have the younger actors like like harry hamlin um it's it's another thing that's a bit strange about it is we watched uh star crash a few weeks ago and that is a bad movie clash of the titans is not a bad movie it's just it just doesn't fit today you know what i mean it's just it just feels so foreign to what we're, yeah. we're kind of used to well, and so i do think it would gain from we talked about with star crash that that would be a really fun film to see in the theater i think this would definitely be a, a movie that it would be more entertaining if you watched it you know with some friends it would be interesting to take a scalpel to this movie and see how much air you could take out of it you know just scenes where it's like okay this is them coming around the pass near the mountaintop you know and it's a it, lot of travel and it's a it's a nine second shot like i wonder if we could get away with this being a six second shot you know what i mean and just really shave i'm not talking about excising um any actual scenes I'm just saying yeah. I wonder how much you could you could take the air out of it a little bit because there is a pace to it that doesn't fit with I think our contemporary MCU conditioned brains. But what I was going to say is this is really a fantasy movie, right? So mm -hmm. this this is a genre. You say, well, it's Greek myth, it's not Tolkien. You go, okay, but it's not science fiction. It's not really a drama. It's a fantasy and it's based mm -hmm. in, in Greek myth, but there's monsters and magic and, you know, and, uh, it's a fantasy movie. And I think that, you know, it made me think of things like Ben-Hur and these sort of classic big set piece, you know, period dramas. Um but aimed more at kids and that being said though it didn't it didn't pander i didn't feel like i didn't feel like you know some movies aimed at kids feel like they insult the intelligence of their viewers like oh kids are gonna love this <laughs> well don't treat them like kids treat them like you know adults with mm -hmm. different interests um this one i think I I still enjoyed the performances. I thought the casting was great. Lawrence Olivier. I like the, the, was the a casting delight. a lot. Um, I love the makeup they did on Calabas. Like, and, you know, and some of the, like his performance is almost, um, because he's working with almost a full face mask. Like we see his eyes and it moves around his mouth, but he's doing, his performance is very, um very big like he like he was playing it on a thousand seat outdoor stage and i but i think that kind of fit the material it fit the prosthetic stuff on his face that i thought looked really good it you can tell it's prosthetic you can tell that the claymation is claymation but it's done with such 
wonderful design and character that you know I, design I'll... yeah that's a good word i uh th th and that was one thing that i that i didn't really quite get <clears throat> so basically when it's a close-up you know it's the actor in makeup and then anything that is a wide shot it's stop motion and i didn't really understand why it needed to be stop motion why could they have not just put him in a costume other than to have the tail move I didn't really understand why that couldn't just be a costume. They might have tried it and not like the way Maybe it, it just looked, looked bad. Yeah. yeah. But you know, what I like to remember about this when I watch it is that, so you think, oh, Harryhausen did uh, Clash of the Titans. Oh, the Medusa. So cool. Right. The Kraken. Oh, that was awesome. Mm -hmm. He also did the Scorpions. Right. And he did Pegasus. So. You know, or you think Sinbad, or I guess, it, is it Sinbad where there's the skeleton army? I mean, you think sort of fantasy stuff and monsters. I think and, that's maybe Jason and the Argonauts. Jason and the I Argonauts. Mean, they, they might have done it in Sinbad, too. I don't know. But but he also... Which I love those like, movies. Pegasus looks too. great. You can mm -hmm. tell Pegasus is stop motion, but Pegasus is a photorealistic horse with the wings. And I love the shots of Perseus when pegasus flies it runs through the air mm -hmm. right so you the the horse is galloping but there's a kind of a but the wings are going so the body of the horse is sort of undulating with the wings like he devised an entire like how would a flying horse look when it flew and i just think it's this it's so visually poetic i i, I had forgotten that i mean i i had forgotten the sort of how much of this is that stop motion animation? Because th there's a lot of it in this and the, the yeah. kind of big ticket, like Medusa, that scene burned into my mind as a kid. I was like, whoa, that is so cool. <laughs> yeah. It's so cool. And even all the setup to it, they I love how they do the setup where they're going into her lair yeah. or whatever. Oh, yeah. And there's the different men that have already been petrified. You know, yeah. that's a really great setup. That's great. Yeah, the sets and the and the uh, the production design from top to bottom. You know, sometimes it looks a little bit right off the costume rack. Like when he's got some soldiers going with him, they put on their helmets, and those helmets don't look like they've seen battle. Those helmets look brand new. And you know, when their their tunics that they wear look. I fresh wonder iron. how much of that is we're watching it in HD now. And if you had, you know, in the theater, it would have been one thing. Maybe, but watching it on TV, we probably never noticed any of that. You know, Maybe. but you know, he Zeus gives him. He orders the other gods to give him gifts, and he gets a sort of a a sword that will never dull, and it can cut marble like it's butter and he has this a shield that he uses with medusa those things are highly polished and sparkling and that works because they're kind of divine gifts you know um i mean as i do i'm i'm nitpicking here but i thought the design like when he meets um what's the guy's what's his name um his his sort of ben kenobi character uh the Burgess Meredith character? Yeah, Burgess Meredith's character. You remember his name in the movie? Uh, I'll look here. You just talk and I'll look. Anyway, when he first meets him, they're in. he wakes up in this sort of amphitheater. The gods relocate him. And 
And he says, oh, well, you're, you know, you're a prince. Let's get you. And he goes back and then pulls out from his costumes. He pulls out a cloak and he, it's basically just a cape with the nice mm -hmm. pin that he pins around him. And he's like, now you look like a prince. <laughs> and one of the things I love about that is it's, it's, it's kind of true to, you know, that's probably they, they weren't wearing a lot of clothes, basically tunics and free flowing things. And, he does, but it's also a kind of a child's dress up. Like, I love that they sort of start the adventure in an amphitheater because it's it kind of makes it feel like the beginning of an enormous game of make believe. And mm -hmm. I feel like it invites us as the audience into like, all right, we each we need a sword and we need a shield and we need a cape, and now we are ready to be heroes, you know. And then he, and then he goes and becomes the hero Burgess Meredith is Ammon A-M-M-O-N and what a treasure what a treasure Burgess Meredith was yeah. you know he's probably you know he had a really long career but he's he's probably most famous for Mickey in Rock, the Rocky films but you know he's in this and he's in that did you ever see the uh, I mean he was in several Twilight Zone episodes but did you ever see the one about the the guy that where he's the guy who just wants to read. Have you ever seen that one? I mean, it rings a bell. I don't. It doesn't, so he's. I don't he's I'll just yeah. say this real quick. But he's a yeah, guy who he just wants more time to read. And there's a nuclear war, and every you know, it's like he's the last man on earth, and he goes to the library, and there's just all the books that he'll ever be able to read, you know, for the rest of his life, and he drops his glasses and breaks them. <laughs> That's the end. that's the end of the Twilight Zone episode. So yeah, I mean Burgess Meredith, you know, I don't know if younger people would know who Burgess Meredith is, but he was a really really great actor. Yeah, and he really sets the tone. Mm -hmm. He really sets the tone in this. You know, he says, "What well, what should I?" When when they find the the helmet, the sword, and the shield. Um, he has a line that really stays with me where he goes, oh, you know, you don't, when there, when you get a gift from the gods, you just accept it. You know, you don't question it. And there's just a way in which he said, there's the awe baked into that, but it's like, he's also just teaching a younger man, like the gods are fickle and they're all powerful. And if they give you something, you say, thank you. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, that's just, you know, don't overthink it. Don't think about it at all. Just the mm -hmm. gods of the gods. And which is really interesting because we see the gods. We, you know, it's kind of upstairs, downstairs. Like we spend time up on Mount Olympus with the gods and they are vain and fickle and jealous. Yeah, they have a lot of the flaws of humans, right? You know, or yeah. all the flaws of humans. Oh, what about that scene? What about that scene where Andromeda's mother says, oh, she's even more beautiful than the goddess, right? And they're standing in front of... Was it Thetis, which was the goddess that they that she blasphemed? It was Calabas's mother. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so then there's this sort of thunderous sound and the head of the statue breaks off and falls and then they superimpose her face and she talks to them. That's another. Yeah, scene. It's like that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was seared. That was seared. And I, like like I said, I was amazed at how much stuff I remembered. What I did not remember and surprised me a little bit 
you know, this is a PG 13 film and it's for kids. There's some nudity in this. Yeah. Did that, did that kind of where you're just like, Whoa. And it's in the yeah. first couple of minutes of it. It's not gratuitous. You know, it's not like sexual or anything, but it's Perseus's mother in and young in, Perseus. She's breastfeeding. And so you see her breath, you know, one of her breasts, and then they're walking down the beach, you know, nude, you just see them from behind. And then later in the film, you see Andromeda, there's kind of like a side boob thing, you know, and then she's because she's getting up out of a, a bath, you know. Yeah, but I thought that was interesting. But in I did a little bit of reading on this. And so this was a British film. And they uh, Burgess Meredith was Meredith was cast because I forget who they there was a British actor that they wanted in that role. And they they cast Burgess Meredith because they felt like they needed more American actors. But the original choice for Perseus was Arnold Schwarzenegger. No, okay. I guess he would have been coming off of Conan the Barbarian, I guess. But the so the writer was a woman. I think that um, would have um, been wrong. I don't think that would have worked. Yeah, they and, and ultimately they decided that they thought he couldn't handle the the dialogue, basically. But the writer was I'm going to look up her name here because I don't want to I don't want to get that wrong. Um, but the writer was a woman. And it was a little more intense. Uh, so the writer was Beverly Cross and her original script. There was more gore in it. And also the the scene with Andromeda in the end when she's chained up and the, the Kraken comes out of the water. She was supposed to be nude for that. And they were like, this is a kid's movie. We don't have this gore in there. We don't have this nude, you know, but uh, so I don't know. That was just, it I was interesting they, to me in this PG film that there was this little bit of nudity in there that, you know, but, but the, the ratings board has always been fickle that way. If you, it's, it's tone. Like you can make a very dirty feeling film that isn't, doesn't, it was not sexual at all. No, no, no. And especially in the beginning when it, when we see uh, Percy's mother and him as a, a child on this beach, um, it, it, it is, it's, it's this sort of Eden, right? It's this sort of mm -hmm. idyllic innocence. It's like, oh, her father condemned her to death in a jealous rage and put her and her baby in this sort of coffin and dumped it in the ocean and Zeus. And that's said, pretty intense. It is intense. You know, even now in 2022, it's just like, wow, they're because they basically put her in her and her baby in a floating coffin. It, it is know? intense. And, and yeah. it's a death sentence. I'm like, it'd be kinder to just cut their heads off. You're going to put them in a box and dump them. That's yeah. Messed up, man. Uh, not that cutting their heads off wouldn't be messed up, but you get the idea. But so then Zeus intervenes and says, "This is not justice, right?" So see, mm -hmm. he says to Poseidon, "See that they wash ashore, see them safely to some secluded island where they can live in peace, right?" Which is what happens. So then we see them sort of wash ashore, and we see a little. It, I just we see her breastfeeding him as a baby, and then we sort of cut to him being I don't know three or something like two or three. That's the scene where they're walking on the beach. And it's just, I mean, it, she's beautiful, right? Yeah. You notice that. But I feel like the nudity in this film is mostly about 
celebrating the beauty of the human figure the way that these sort of Greek marbles did. Yeah, right? yeah, that's, not that's a really salacious good point. at all. No, no. And no, when no. you see Andromeda getting out of the bath, there you do feel a thrill, but it's it's for me anyway. It didn't feel dirty. It felt like wow, she is absolutely statuesque. She is so beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. And so is Harry Hamlin. I mean, that that I, I can't think of too many men that are more not just handsome, but he's beautiful. And this, I mean, I have a picture of them behind him. He's yeah. just, they both look like Greek statues. And it's interesting because this is, this is something that I notice a lot <clears throat> that you see the way, uh, kind of the idealized human form has changed a bit over, yeah. over time. He's in incredible shape, but he's, he's basically just, lean you know right. he's really he doesn't have any body fat or anything but he doesn't look like a like a bodybuilder or something so or like wolverine right or wolverine yeah. like hugh jackman in those wolverine movies where i was listening to harry cavill in an interview talking about he's like the worst so you do all of this stuff in part just to protect your body. Like if you're going to be doing these action movies and doing your own stunts and stuff, being in this kind of shape is is largely about just protecting your joints and, you know, not getting mm -hmm. seriously hurt while you do it. But obviously part of it's for the for the appearance of it too. And he says when you're going to do a shirtless scene or something, you dehydrate mm -hmm. for days before, like two days before you do that scene. You don't hydrate so that you're wringing out as much you know moisture from your skin to make it look as shredded as possible so you have this crazy definition and i thought that sounds terrible yeah <laughs> i'd love to look like that if i didn't have to do anything but if i had to dehydrate to look like that i'm like no i'm not i mean maybe exactly yeah. me millions of dollars to do the movie but i'm just saying it's and it's gone to extremes and it's yeah, it's it's almost it's it's a little bit sad to me that you look at this, you know, was a and I'm sure at the time people were just like, oh, I, I wish I could get in that kind of shape, you know, of Harry Hamlin and in this film. But compared to now, it's so much more of an attainable, you know, it's basically just uh, you just eat right. And, you know, you exercise some, but you don't have to be a bodybuilder. Uh, I don't know. It's just, I, I think a lot about like Harrison Ford, you know, in Temple of Doom, you know, I would be certainly happy to take my shirt off and look like that now. But it's, it's, that's attainable. Whereas you look at, like you, you know, you brought up Hugh Jackman or, Right. or Henry Cavill or whatever. And it's like, okay, you know, right. There's you can't fit. without a personal trainer, you know, and a, a nutritionist, you're not going to get in that kind of shape, you know? And, and Whereas then, Harry Hamlin, it's like, hey, this looks like a guy who lives on the beach and just eats fruit all day, you know? A Mediterranean swims. diet, right. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. And he's a demigod. I mean, and, you know, not everybody in the movie is as attractive as these two, but, but that's- No, the, no, like you said, they're both just glowing. beautiful- Right. He doesn't have some inhuman property. He's just Yeah. But but the, with right. the nudity thing, it it's a little bit funny because that was, you know, sort of growing up, 
my parents were, and this is, I think this is kind of the American ideal or whatever, like violence never seemed to bother them a whole lot. You know, if it was just incredibly gory, they would have been like, oh, this is not good for you. But um, I, like I say, I, maybe they weren't paying attention, but I know I watched this movie over and over and over again, and I did not remember the nudity in this, which would have bothered them probably with other films. But but like you said, it's not sexual. It's just here's the human body, you know, and this is natural. And maybe my maybe I'm not giving my parents enough credit. Maybe they saw that and were just like, oh, this isn't gonna. He's seven. This isn't gonna bother him, you know. But I mean, again, I think uh, intent intent goes a long way and in the yeah. in, in this movie it's it's one of the things i love about the movie is how thoroughly it embraces this idea of the greek myths and I, it would it would and could have been more brutal um but i think that it's already some of the the concept there's nothing they put her in the box and then they sort of put the lid on the box and then it's a different shot where then they kind of heave the box over the edge of the cliff and you see it plunge into the water. <laughs> They're obviously not in the box, right? Yeah, yeah. But but you can sort of hear the baby crying in the box. They do the sound effects. It is upsetting, right? So nobody is getting murdered or there's no blood. It's just their distress is real and their her father's, you know, fury and cruelty in this moment is real and that was more that left more of a an impression on me than like medusa or oh for sure you know what i mean it's like and early on i thought wow maybe this is a lot more hardcore of a film than i remembered it being you know yeah well it, it turned out not to be but yeah it, it turned out not to be and there's there's a couple of places where i'm like you know so when he goes to wherever calabas lives in the swamp Calabas has got some followers. They're just sort of goons. And they never seem to be doing anything. They're just all kind of like hanging out in the swamp around Calabas's mm -hmm. throne. And you don't think about it until you start thinking about. So, you know, what is this serving? What are they doing? Why are they here? You know, mm -hmm. when you start thinking about it like a filmmaker, uh, you start to think, oh, all of these people are just like, where do they what do they eat? And you know what I mean? Where do they sleep in the swamp? These 30 folks, you know? Um, it, but I think most of the movie is not that. Most of the movie feels of a specific universe and mm -hmm. consistent in that regard, you know? And the pro oh, yeah. players are all good too. Like there's a there's a sort of um there's a bearded soldier that sort of becomes his, I guess, lieutenant. He just sort of meets him for the first time when he gets to the city and he explains and the situation with Amadromeda. You got to answer. You can be a suitor. But, oh, there's a guy who's been burned at the stake, right? Mm -hmm. and he's like, What's, what, what the heck is that? And he's like, oh, that was a suitor for the princess, you know? Remember that guy? It's like you can go, but if you don't yeah, get yeah. the riddle right, that's what happens to you. You know, if you get the riddle right, you get to marry her. And and he's like, well, why would I? I why would anybody subject risk it? You know. And he's like, well, Andromeda is really beautiful. <laughs> and mm -hmm. he ends up sort of following him him around throughout the movie. Um, and his performance is great. You know, it's like there is there's no stinkers. There's no they don't stop like old woman. 
yeah, he's over there. There's no <laughs> bit parts that stink in this movie. It's, it, I think it's really pretty airtight. It feels a lot like a, you know, to get into the kind of like different era thing, it feels a lot like a studio film from an earlier time. You yeah. Know, you, you really hit it when you said Ben Hur. It feels a lot like that, you know. And they do things like, so <clears throat> Zeus, um, when Zeus finds out what um, the king has done by dumping his daughter and Perseus, his son really uh in the in the water he destroys the city yeah and it's a big epic sweeping shot of this greek city being destroyed by the wrath of zeus and it's floods and earthquakes and you know columns toppling and, and it's the kraken who they let the kraken out and that was one of the things that like <laughs> that i was wondering about is and i i don't remember what the exact line was but the the remake from 2010 or whatever it is, which is, in my opinion, is terrible. But the one, you know, it became a meme, basically, is Liam Neeson saying, release the Kraken. And they, that Zeus says, I forget what it is, they like let loose the Kraken or something like that. But it's the Kraken that that does a lot of this damage. Yes, although um, we don't see it we don't see it like King Konging it, you know, mm -hmm. uh, they release the Kraken and then the, what, what appears to be a sort of bunch of natural disasters happening without the Kraken looming in the background, hurling boulder yeah. and stuff. But my point is where I was going with this was um, in Olympus, they have sort of this kind of model of an amphitheater and they have little, clay figures oh yeah i love that i love the clay figures yeah and he picks up zeus picks up the figure of the king and just crushes him in his fist and then so we see the king being like uh, <laughs> you know? yeah and i thought that is cool like yeah i love that that was great and we super effective like in a more modern movie his eyes would pop out and blood would shoot out of his ears and stuff you don't need that you don't need yeah. that the 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 wide shots of people running for their lives you know and it's obviously shot in different layers and assembled yeah that doesn't change the impact of the scene like people running for their lives and then a column falling and crushing them and being swept away by water coming flooding out of the thing i'm like it's it's apocalyptic in the kind of Greek mythic world. It was really effective, I thought. Yeah, it's it's and it's pretty intense. And I was thinking about you know watching this, and I thought you know I watched this at, I mean I just ate this up at seven or eight years old or whatever it was, but I, I was this I don't remember being scared or anything, but it's like pretty intense. You know? It's pretty intense. Yeah. Well, I mean, when, um, you, when you watch things like the A-Team, I don't think anyone actually got shot in the A-Team. But watching, you know, TV shows in the 80s, people shot each other, you know, and, and they'd be kind of like, ah, and they'd fall down. There wasn't even a squib sometimes. But it didn't feel real, right? When you yeah. watch a movie that really treats violence seriously and it focuses on the person committing the violence and the victim of the violence and their, you know, what it's actually, what the violence is actually doing in a realistic way. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't need to be extremely graphic or extremely large scale to be 
super duper upsetting. And I think from the 80s, there was a lot of sort of, you know, quote unquote, movie or TV violence that was, oh, then these 10 guys ran in, I took a Uzi and I sh- took them out. And then they, then I shot a rocket launcher and those guys all blew off and oh, I went flying over there. But that's not how those things work. You know what I mean? No. If you were really seeing violence of that scale de- depicted realistically, it would you'd have like shell shock from it. It would traumatize you because violence is horrible. Oh, yeah. Something from TV that I saw as a kid that has stuck with me my entire life. And I actually, I went back and watched this like a few years. I found a YouTube video of this and it's still pretty upsetting. Did you ever watch St. Elsewhere, the TV show St. Elsewhere? Um, I must have seen an episode or two here or there. So there is an episode, and I watched this as a kid. At, I don't know. I was probably like 10 years old, where Mark Harmon, uh, he, I don't know if like they were trying to portray that like he was a sex addict or what, but he he picks up this woman in a pharmacy and like goes home with her and uh you know they're in bed together and she's on top of him and you know i saw this at i don't know i was like fourth or fifth grade something like that and the the woman is on top of him and you know they're having sex and she opens her mouth and she has a razor blade between her teeth and just starts cutting him and I remembered that as a kid and I was like a few years ago, I went on YouTube and I was like, did I, you know, is that one of those things that I just imagined right. or was that real? And I looked it up and like, it's still pretty just dis- because, you know, I, from that age as a kid, I thought, oh, you got to be careful, like who you take home because they might cut you with a razor blade, you know? And so I watched it and it's like very, you know, it was probably like 1982, 1983, this makes me think of the episode in in, uh, Perfect Blue, right? That they shot. The people are like, I don't know about this episode, guys. You know, but they they still shot it and aired it. Um, I remember, do you remember the day after that? Yeah, I do. From the 80s, 81. That was around this time period. Mm -hmm. I don't remember a nuclear war. Yeah, I don't remember a single thing about any episode, but the very first one where everybody's like living their lives and concerned about, you know, the escalation of this stuff. And, you know, a couple lying in bed being like, do you remember the Cuban Missile Crisis? And then being like, yeah, that was scary. That This feels like that. I'm like, yeah, we're going to be okay. And kids in school, right? And then... They launch, you can look this up too. It's messed up. They launch, they, there's a sequence where they're launching all the rockets. And then there's a sequence where the bombs are are detonating and incinerating everyone. So the children singing in the, in the church choir, incinerated, right? And it just goes on and on. And I was a child and scared the living daylights out of me. I yeah. was certain we were all going to die in a nuclear holocaust. So I was yeah. positive of it for a long time because I knew what it was going to look like. And I thought this was just like, this was on at like eight o'clock, you know, for a whole week. And it was a television event. And I'm like, this should not be prime time. This is, 
if I remember correctly, the rest of it looked a little bit like um you know the production design of the rest of it looked a little bit like star trek it was people sort of shambling around in rags and mm-hmm. i don't i don't remember any of the rest of it but that opening the first part of the the pilot episode was just crazy and i thought what are you doing who greenlit traumatized a whole generation of people you know i think they must have thought this is supposed to be cautionary you know like this can happen this is no you know nothing to shrug off this is an existential threat but and isn't it insane to think that you know not to get in they got sidetracked into politics but like recently there's been some talk of nuclear war again and it's sort of like did they not watch the day after you know did you not watch the day after I think they know. I'm not worried about people not knowing. I'm worried about you know that was something. Even as a kid, even as a kid, I, I think a lot about that um, Sting song that I don't know if it's been sort of lost to history. I don't know if like it ever gets played anymore. But Russians. I hope the Russians love their children too. Yeah, I hope the Russians love their children too. There's no no such thing as a winnable war. It's the lie we don't believe anymore. Uh, even as a kid, I think I thought the Russians that you know they know that it's the death of everybody, not just you know it's not like anybody wins in that situation. Um, I don't know. I That's think a little far flung from our film, but yeah, I know. I th- I think I think people who have access to their own versions of the button do know this. The problem is, is it's everything is set up like a big thing of dominoes. Like once one person, whether it's Kim Jong-un or Pakistan or India once, or, or Israel once, or Putin or us, once somebody launches a nuclear weapon you're you're just now you're just counting on everybody else with nuclear weapons to show restraint in the face of this incredible traumatic event that just happened like you're not going to hit back that's absurd you know oh, yeah. once you launch one there's a cascade that happens and then that's and that's it there's no partial there's no tactical Right. It's just, and we know this, and yet we continue climbing this ladder. We were trying to disassemble this stuff for a while. I guess we're not anymore. When it to sort of circle back to, uh, yeah, the Clash of the Titans, I just thought I have some Russian friends, and one of my friends, Eugene, I actually was talking to about this, this movie, and he had never seen it before. And uh, so he watched it and I talked to him a few days ago and I was like, oh, what did you think about it? And he said, oh, I really, I really, really enjoyed it, which I thought was neat for somebody. He's in his 30s to, you know, appreciate this film. It's now. good filmmaking. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's epic in, in a kind of an old style of making Yeah, I film, think but... and not to get, you know, old man and get off my lawn and all that, but the you know the the did you ever see the i think it was 2010 did you ever see that one 
2000 oh, the remake the, i did but i i gotta tell you i don't remember i can't even remember who's in it was it sam worthington yeah sam worthington and liam neeson and liam neeson and i and the I, famous I release the kraken thing but yeah I sam worthington nothing about it except everything was cgi medusa yeah, was everything CGI. cg and it's terrible terrible and she's sort of uh, slithering all over and like slithering across the ceiling and i thought what and I think what? that's something she's not that a spider, you know, she's a snake. with I think that's something with fantasy of the 80s. The they had to be somewhat restrained. You know, they didn't have the technology that they have now that they can sort of in theory do whatever they want to. And I just think it was better, you know. The Medusa stuff is so dope in this yeah. um you know and the other thing about the perseus character as depicted in this is he doesn't have superpowers he can't jump over a building you know he has a magic sword it's not a laser sword it's just an unbreakable sword really and he has a, a polished shield that doesn't seem to do anything other than reflect i mean he does use it to deflect arrows and stuff but it doesn't do anything magical as far as i can tell zeus sort of talks to him in the back of it but it's not like he tells him secrets and gives it you know mm -hmm. um and he, so each of the gifts he sort of uses and then loses like the helmet falls in the swamp when he's fighting calabas and mm -hmm. you know? um but but basically it's just he has the courage to do it like he goes into Medusa's place because that's the only way he figures he can stop the Kraken and he hides and he, he's looking at her. Just he lies in wait until and she's this is her lair. She's walking around unafraid. She's completely confident that she's just going to kill whoever these interlopers are, you know, and and he is just ice cold and stands there and waits until she gets close enough for him to strike out with his sword using only her reflection and his shield and, and cuts her head off in one stroke. That's you know, such that's an effective, that's such an effective scene to me. I mean, and that still really holds up well now. And then her you know? body falls over and her neck is all this blood sort of gore and goo come, comes out of her neck. And then, Calabas stabs the head and the, the blood forms the scorpions and they have that square. So dope. Here's something that I wanted to run by you. Uh, and this is, you know, I, I don't want to be a broken record on this, but I, I talk about this a good bit. And this is something that I think about how much the film industry, the movie industry, movie business has changed during the course of our lifetime where we, you know, we just have all these, Marvel films and Pixar movies and all this. So I wondered about Clash of the Titans. I thought, you know, did, I mean, I knew that I loved this as a kid, but I thought, you know, was, did this do well? Was, was this a hit at the time? And it was, um, uh, worldwide, it did about $70 million, which is, you know, probably if you just for inflation, it did double that. It was the number 11 movie worldwide in 1981 so 1981 uh, the the top movie of the year was raiders of the lost Ark. not surprising right and you know that kind of lines up with what's going on now you know the big budget blockbuster films the, the number three movie of the year was superman 2 so a, you know a comic book film if you can guess what the number two movie worldwide 
of 1981 was, I don't know what prize I'll give you, but if you can guess, and adjusted for inflation made almost $400 million. So the number two movie of 1981 worldwide. Hmm. It's not, it's a drama. It's not a, not a action film. Or Kramer versus Kramer? That's a good guess, but no. What was it? I give. On Golden Pond. No kidding. You adjust for inflation, it made $388 million. And I mean, a movie like that maybe could get in the theater today, but it would, would it be a $400 million movie? I mean, a, Absolutely a not. movie about a woman at her chat, you know, but the, well, so if you go through, you can ahead, see sorry. it being, a, you could see it being on a streamer and, and they would clock it at how many watches, but it's hard to gauge how much a movie like that would make today. Cause then, you know, you have ticket sales and you have, you know, there's, there's measurable ways. And nowadays with streamers, you just, you just have how many people watched it. So I guess there's some monetary translation they must do to figure out what that equates to in terms of, yeah. So the top 10 movies of 1981, excuse me, Raiders of the Lost Ark on Golden Pond, Superman 2, Arthur. Huh. I mean, think about a movie like Arthur being just a box office smash. Stripes, Cannonball Run, Chariots of Fire, For Your Eyes Only, The Four Seasons. Do you know what The Four Seasons is? No. That's a movie with Alan Alda and uh, uh, Carol Burnett. I don't even remember that film at all. Time Bandits was number 10 and Clash of the Titans was number 11. It's just, again... Wow. I, Time I, Bandits beat this one out? Yeah. Time Bandits, yeah, Time Bandits beat it by like about $8 million. Uh, but... Again, I, like I said, I don't want to sound like, you know, get off my lawn or whatever, but it's like, basically we get now, you know, Marvel movies, there's the occasional DC thing, Pixar movies. And like, it's amazing how, you know, you think about our youth. So films like Arthur, Stripes and The Cannonball Run. So those are three comedies and comedies are, you know, outside of Pixar are almost non-existent now right you know it's because you know you look back on our youth and i i think the beloved films from our childhood comedies are right up there with you know star wars and right. indiana jones and stuff you know what you get are sort of an extension of the saturday night live you know you get yeah. mccarthy and those 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 comedians make kind of theme movies oh she's a spy or you know she's a bridesmaid right and they're and, funny i don't have any I'm, I'm not i'm just saying that comedies now are these kind of they almost feel like they're trying to do what ace ventura did somehow it's like people will go see them in the theater on opening weekend but ultimately they're a renter or there's something that you're going to watch on streaming they're a vehicle I have to admit, Ace Ventura, I saw in the movie theater, and I don't know that I've ever laughed harder. In a movie. I thought that movie was, I thought that movie was hilarious. Yeah, I mean, Jim Carrey. I mean, at his prime, he was a genius. You know, I mean, and nobody had it. you got you got used to him because once that happened, 
the market was so saturated with Jim Carrey, but Ace Ventura as a character, you're like, what is he doing? Like, he's just so almost like Jim Varney, but on crack, like so big and so exaggerated and so absurd that the laughter was just almost disbelief. You're like, what is happening? You know, a, a movie that I've never seen that maybe we should do for the show is uh, what was the one that he did with Ben Stiller where the cable guy? That was uh that wasn't Ben Stiller, was it? That was uh Matthew yeah. Broderick, wasn't it? Or was Maybe ben Matthew Broderick, but I think Ben Stiller directed it. I've never oh. seen the cable guy. Never watched I've never it. seen it either. And I think it didn't do great because oh. people wanted more funny. It's and more dark. We should like do that Harry. for the show. All we right. both haven't seen it. We should we should do it hundred percent. Oh, so all God. right, what do you think about uh maybe we should wrap up uh yeah. Chris and Chris talk movies at Gmail. That's our handle. Um, we're on uh, the socials. Please like and subscribe and leave us a comment and a question and a kind word. Um, that would be great. Thank you for watching, listening, whichever you're doing. Um, I would highly recommend this movie. For all yeah, the- I would recommend it as well with kind of caveats. I don't know you know, really younger audiences. I don't know if they would be bored by this, but, but it's the, the pacing is an issue. I think for today's youth, like I think my kids who are um, 13 and 11, I think they'd like it, but I do think okay. if, if this thing, if there was a way to ring 15, maybe even 20 minutes of, of, uh, not fat, but a little bit of the extra air out of it, just to kind of keep things moving. Um, that would probably land better with them. You I didn't definitely feel myself bored this. watching it. I didn't feel myself bored, but I did. You know, I was settled into the couch and ready to watch it, and it was late at night, and I there were in the middle. You're kind of like, oh, because I wanted him to get the Medusa, and I'm like, oh, right, he's still a yeah. Student six other things before he gets there. And those things are fine, but you're kind of like, yeah, in today's mentality, you're kind of like, I think they thought it's an epic. It's got to be two hours and they just kind of took their time with it. And in 81 pacing was a different thing. Yeah. Pacing was completely different in 81. Uh, I saw a, a story this week. I don't know if you've seen about this previously, but Topher Grace like for fun, he will edit uh movie like he's he's uh I think the original Star Wars, not the original Star Wars tr- trilogy, but the the right. prequel tr- trilogy, he edited down to like a shorter right uh and I was reading that he edited the Hobbit films. He took the three Hobbit films and edited them to a two hour movie. Um, but yeah, get Topher Grace on this one. Where do you, you know. where do you see that? Where, where could you possibly see that? You see that you're friends with Topher Grace and you watch that at his house. And he invites you over to show you. Yeah. His. Somebody said, I saw a tweet about that. And they're like, how can I watch this? And they're like, go to Topher Grace's house. And watch yeah, right. Cause it. you know, cause no, it's, there's no, obviously it's copyrighted. Legal. Right. Of course. Yeah. They're not going to put it up anywhere because it's illegal, but he did a, his own cut of the, of the, uh, the, the, Star Wars prequels, which are supposed to be 
Right. I and think he did there's that one, one where he years. took Jar Jar out of he took Jar yeah, it is completely out of it. Jar-Jar and he might have taken young Annie out of all of it too. I don't I don't remember that. But yeah, maybe, but which I think is pretty is pretty neat. I mean, that'd be one of those things that would be fun to do, you know, if he had the the resources for that. But yeah. Have you watched anything else recently? You know, Rachel and I just watched The Bear on uh I guess it's on Oh, okay, the whole show. The whole first season of it? Yeah. It's terrific. It is stressful. It takes place in a kitchen in Chicago and uh in and not a relaxing watch, like uh like oh, the tension is so crazy. Um but the performances are fantastic and it it does not drag it it surges forward like it blazes through moments that you're like man i wish wish we'd have spent a little more time on that revelation there you know but oh already on the next crisis you know uh, i know that i don't know what that actor's name is but i know him from shameless i watched shameless kind of early on but yeah it's good i recommend it I have watched, I haven't watched the whole thing, but I watched the first, I think, three episodes of uh, Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. Oh, I think you would, it's good. I think you enjoy it. It's not, you wouldn't be scared by it. It's not. The trailer makes it look. Yeah, the trailer makes it look terrifying. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I, but it's very, so it's, uh, you know, he's the, the, the Rod Serling of the show. He introduces it and then it's just directors that he, he has handpicked to direct the, and they're really top directors and, you know, top actors and everything. It's not what I've seen of it bef- so far is not amazing, but it's, but it's good. And I, I love anthologies. So, you know, it's yeah, right I wondered, I wondered if you had watched that yet, How, are they all out or does it come out? What is it? HBO? No, it's Netflix and oh. they, they did a, they didn't release it all at once, but I think it's all out now. So I've only, I think maybe it's eight episodes, but I've only watched three so far. I've, I've sort of, you know, want to kind of savor it a little bit. And, uh, yeah. but n- there, there haven't been any so far that I've just, just been totally blown away by, but the, all have been entertaining so far. Cool. So, yeah. I'll check it out. So what yeah, do you I think you would. Time? So I don't know if we, I don't know if I've sent you this trailer or if you have seen it or if we've talked about it at all. I don't remember, uh, but um, it comes out on November 4th. So we're recording this on November 2nd. Uh, it is a Weird Al biopic. But that comes starring out. Starring Dan. Oh, I can't wait to see that. Daniel Radcliffe so as Weird Al. Doesn't yeah. it look great? It looks hilarious. So it is on the Roku channel. So even so, I have a Roku. But even if you don't have a Roku, uh, um, what, do you have Apple TV? Is that what you yeah. have? So you can. I don't know if you can watch it on an Apple TV or not, but, but you can watch it on iOS. So even if you can't watch it on your TV, you could watch it on your computer or your iPad or whatever. The, the TV yeah. itself might have some sort of a Roku app. I've got a okay. Sam. Sun? No, I've got a LG TV that has a bunch okay. of the smart TV that has a bunch of apps. Maybe it's capable of watching it. But it's made for it's I don't know if they've done other productions, but it's a Roku production. Cool. And it's you don't have to pay anything for it. It's free. So but yeah, it looks so it's 
it's Daniel Radcliffe as Weird Al and you have Evan Rachel Wood as Madonna and it's written by Weird Al and it looks great. So I think we should do that next. Okay. Yeah. I'm down. I love it. The trailer like just looks and it's like, you know, trailer it's looks hilarious. It's not real, you know, it's like Weird Al is it's, like a it's like magical fantasy. Yeah. yeah, and then this happened and then, you know, yeah. and then I, you know, hijacked a blimp stuff Ooh. like that. It's like big crazy and I love, we can get into this more when we cover the episode, but I love that Daniel Radcliffe, he made a bunch of money from the Harry Potter movies. And now it's just like, hey, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. There was a story this week about him. He finally put to rest. There've been rumors for a while about maybe that he would play Wolverine because, uh, you know, for people who aren't familiar with the comics, uh, even though. I mean, I don't know how you're ever going to top Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. He's just owned that role. But Wolverine in the comics is a short guy. And so there have always been these rumors about Daniel Radcliffe as Wolverine. And, and he admitted that he kind of played into him some. You know, he gets bored on press junk, junkets. It's like, oh, maybe I'll play Wolverine. But finally, he came out in promoting this weird out film and he was just like i don't want to do another i don't want to be tied down to a franchise again you know i just want to and i i think that's so cool to you know you made your money here and it's just like now i can just do whatever i want I and just... probably continues to make it right yeah i don't think it's just you made those movies and then a hearty handshake well enjoy the rest of your life i think he continues to get royalties He's going to be rich on those things for generations. And even, you know, he's, it's not like he's just doing all these things that just bomb. You know, he did. Oh, he's really he did good. A movie with Sandra Bullock. Yeah. So, I mean, he's a really interesting actor, you know, and seemingly from what everybody says, a very nice guy, you know, so it's, it's cool that I think, but anyway, I'm very excited about this weird owl. All right. Film. That's what we'll do next. What's it called? Weird. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I think it's just called Weird, and it's on the Roku channel, so it's free. You know, anybody can watch it. For I, I guess there's advertisements. I don't know. Wonderful. Um, Wonderful. Cool. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, we're going to wrap it up. Do you have anything else you want to add? Not too much. This was just a really fun episode because I, I bet I haven't seen this film in 35 years maybe good yeah. right it's really good yeah. if you haven't seen it and you think what we're talking about you know sparks your curiosity check it out it's i mean i think it's really well done and it's just this really creative engaging consistent vision of a greek myth and nowadays you're going to see something like the sequel where everything's cgi and I know and the CGI is not evil, but trust me, Harryhausen's animation, there's a magic to it that it makes the movie worth watching on its own. But the performances and the direction and the set design and the costume design and the entire production design make this just a magical favorite of mine, a lifetime favorite of mine. And I saw an article, and they're probably right about this, where they said, most people, their knowledge of uh, Medusa and Perseus probably comes from this movie. Probably. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think so. it did for me. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, cool. 
All right, then. Um, yeah, I'm Chris, and that's Chris, and we will. We're two Chris's. Talk to you next week. <laughs>